If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. The title of my message today is When All Hope is Lost. And When All Hope is Lost. <clears throat> In Houston, there never seems to be a shortage of beggars and panhandlers. And if they're not near your neighborhood yet, just give it time. I've seen a really short panhandler dress up like a leprechaun every time we get near St. Patrick's Day. And when we're near Christmas, he dresses up like one of Santa's elves. I've seen some get very creative with their signs. Uh, one guy had a sign that said, Dad killed by ninjas need money for karate lessons. Some of them are a little less creative and say just traveling, and yet they stay on the same corner for two months, which leads me to believe either they're not really traveling or they're really bad at traveling. When you see a beggar, when you see a panhandler, how do you respond? What's your gut reaction? Do you assume they'll spend the money carelessly? What about a person that's obviously disabled and homeless? Does seeing an external disability move you with a little more compassion than seeing someone who may have an internal disability? What if you see a legitimate need, but you're in a hurry? Do you have that internal debate? I don't know if I have the cash. What if he doesn't look at me? I don't want to hold up traffic. I'm already running late. Never in the history of this great planet was there anyone ever more important than Jesus to walk its roads. And not only was Jesus making his final trip to Jerusalem that would result in his death, but he's also got a timetable that he must stick to. He knows it. And yet time and again, Jesus allows himself to be interrupted. And he's not interrupted by people we would consider important. He's interrupted by people that most people would not allow themselves to be interrupted by. Beggars, panhandlers, the outcasts of society. Let's read the whole passage in Mark chapter 10, and then we'll break it down to go deeper into the story. We're looking at Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. And this is what it says. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This story also appears in Matthew 20 
and Luke 18. And there are differences. There are two main differences between the three accounts. Critics of the Bible point to these alleged discrepancies to try to discount the validity of the Bible. However, none of these differences are important, and I, each one of them can be explained. The first discrepancy you'll notice when you compare the three accounts is the location. Matthew and Mark said this miracle happened as Jesus was leaving Jericho. Luke said that it happened when Jesus came into Jericho. Why the difference? Was it when he was coming or when he was going? Well, it's actually very simple. There are two Jerichos. One was the old Jericho that you read about in the book of Joshua. The second and newer Jericho was right next to it and had been built up by Herod the Great, the Herod that was the Herod at Jesus' birth. It, it was a place where Herod had his winter palace. So Jesus was leaving old Jericho and arriving at new Jericho when the miracle took place. And because of that, both, all three accounts, Matthew and Mark's account and Luke's account, are all in agreement. The second discrepancy that you see when you compare the two accounts is the blind man himself. Matthew and Luke list two blind men, whereas Mark only lists one. Again, this is an unimportant detail. There were two blind men. Matthew is an eyewitness. He was there, and so he can tell you there were two blind men there. But Mark is only mentioning the one who spoke up. So one commentator said that there was a certain bush that grew near Jericho that had medicinal properties believed to treat blindness. Thus, there was a decent population of blind people living near Jericho, but they were unhealed by the medicine of the day. Now, let's look at the substance of the passage. Jesus was on his final journey towards Jerusalem. It would be the last time he would enter the city before his death. He was taking his disciples, he was taking a large crowd with him on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. And so I would assume that he's teaching as he's walking because that's what he usually did. He's determined to get to Jerusalem and everything hangs in the balance for him getting there on Sunday. The events in this passage are probably happening on Thursday or Friday before Palm Sunday. So this is going to be, this is getting close to his last Sabbath before his death. Jesus is so close to starting the final steps towards the cross. Enter an interruption by the name of Bartimaeus. Now, Bartimaeus' name is broken down Bar, which means son, and Timaeus, which means unclean. So Timaeus, as Mark points out, was Bartimaeus' father. But even at birth, Bartimaeus' prospects aren't very high because he's called by his parents, the son of uncleanness. Maybe his father had a disease because Timaeus means unclean, and so uh, maybe his father had a disease or a disability as a child, so his parents named him unclean. And now his Timaeus' son, Bartimaeus, is now the son of uncleanness. We don't know if Bartimaeus was born blind, but that would certainly make sense because of what his parents named him. Now, Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. 
He literally had nothing going on in his favor. He had placed himself or been placed by someone else on the side of the Jericho Road, the same road used in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. And it was a good spot to get some roadside assistance from travelers that were going to and coming from Jerusalem. People tended to be generous when they were going to Jerusalem to worship God. So it was a good place to sit. Yet Bartimaeus is completely blind. He's living in utter darkness. He can only hear the commotion. He can smell the animals and the people walking by. He can feel the displaced air as some people and animals move faster than others. He can taste the dirt that's kicked up. But he can't see what's going on. He was just getting passed by. He had no help. He had no hope. Bartimaeus heard a large crowd of people going by him. And knowing the sound of people traveling in large groups, he managed to get someone to stop so he could ask them what was going on. Someone told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And this was a critical moment for Bartimaeus which he seized, and some of us do not. When we sense that God is on the move, often we think, oh, God's too busy for me. My need's not important enough to ask him about. He's busy curing somebody's cancer. I can't bother him with this little issue. And while our need may not measure up to someone dying of cancer who needs an immediate miracle, we must remember that it takes no more work for God to heal them of cancer than it does for him to deal with our issue, whatever it may be. And we can easily cheat ourselves out of a miracle by giving into false humility, downplaying our need, or convincing ourselves that I'll just give it some time and it'll all work out. Maybe. Or maybe we can do what Bartimaeus did and call out to God when we sense that he's near. So what did Bartimaeus do? Once he heard that Jesus was passing by, he cried out with a loud voice. Now the term cry here in, is what Matthew, Mark, and Luke all use, is used to describe the cry of a woman in childbirth. Have you ever known a woman in labor to use her inside voice? No. She screams. She wails, especially if she does not have an epidural. She doesn't care who hears her. She isn't concerned about a decibel level. She's only concerned with the amount of desperation that she's in. So too was Bartimaeus. He cried out and yelled, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And by using the title Son of David, Bartimaeus acknowledged his faith that Jesus was the Messiah. He expressed his faith loudly and for many people to hear. Somewhere along the way, word had gotten to this blind man that Jesus was a miracle worker. And if he managed to pass by he should, Bartimaeus should do everything possible to get Jesus' attention. But linger on the phrase that Bartimaeus used for a moment. Have mercy on me. Have compassion on me. Help 
this afflicted one. Help this wretched one. Jesus, I've heard that you've done it for others. I've heard stories about you, Jesus. I've heard stories how you've healed lepers, raised dead men to life, and you've restored hearing to the deaf. I've also heard about how you restored sight to the blind. And Jesus, since you are the Son of David, since you are the Messiah, would you look my way and have mercy on me? But the louder Bartimaeus got... The louder the crowd got. They rebuked him and they sternly told him to be quiet. They were trying to hear Jesus, and Bartimaeus was trying to get Jesus to hear him. He needed a miracle, and that was obvious to everyone around. He's sitting at the Jericho Road blind with his cloak spread out, collecting money from passersby. And yet when he started yelling for Jesus' attention, the disciples and the people in the crowd shushed him because he was an interruption. For them, it was more important to hear Jesus than for this man to get his miracle. He was nothing more than a socially insignificant beggar. Always with his hand out, always needing help, never contributing to society, never making things better, always draining the wealth of others to get by. There are times when well-meaning Christians say some pretty terrible things. They say things like, well, you should just accept the fact that you'll never have a child. You should just accept the disease. You should just accept your blindness, your deafness, your disability, your limitation. You should just be quiet and stop asking God for the miracle. But if God has told you otherwise, you need to silence those voices and shout his name even louder. And yet, Bartimaeus was not insignificant to Jesus. When the crowd told him to zip it, he got even louder. And Jesus heard the noise of this man over the noise of the crowd. Isn't it comforting that Jesus hears us when we cry out? He stopped this large crowd and he commanded them to bring him the man. Some in the crowd went to go get the blind man, and they said to him, Take courage, cheer up, and get up. Jesus is calling for you. The attitude of some people in the crowd went from rebuke to encouragement. Oh, I I thought we were supposed to oppress him. We're not supposed to oppress him? And once Jesus paid attention to the man, the position of the crowd changed. It's so easy for us to ignore condemn, and even oppress people that don't fit into our mold of, or our idea of what a Christian should look like, act like, or talk like. It's like some Christians are just sitting there waiting for someone to mess up and say, yeah, I knew they weren't really a Christian. I knew they'd mess up. Called it. And their response is one of bragging at the fall of a fellow Christian rather than a response of a heartbreak that a fellow Christian is struggling and didn't have anyone to help disciple them. Some Christians almost cheer when a person they don't like falls from grace. What a shameful way to act. 
That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is all about restoration and reconciliation. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. I love the detail that Mark added to his account. He said that Bartimaeus threw off his cloak, sprang up, and went to Jesus. Nothing was going to keep him from getting to Jesus. He was closer than he had ever been, and he was not missing his chance for a miracle. He had to be thrilled that the Messiah had stopped the entire caravan and called for him. A nobody, a beggar, a social and spiritual outcast. And yet, Jesus called for him. Face to face with Jesus in this In the midst of this large crowd and his disciples, Jesus asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? Don't forget about the two encounters that we have previously covered. When Jesus encountered the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the one with the ambitious James and John saying, we want you to do whatever we ask. Here Jesus is asking the question to this blind man, all right, you've got my attention. What do you want me to do for you? What is your heart's desire? This was this moment. Jesus clearly can tell Bartimaeus is blind. He he didn't ask, what do you want me to do for you? Because he lacked that information. He asked this obvious question to see what the blind man really wanted. Would he answer from a position of faith or fear? Bartimaeus could have asked for money from the crowd. Jesus, I'm a little light this month. Could we take up a collection and and help me? He could have asked for a better strategy of begging. begging. You know, Jesus, uh, uh, what should I say to get more money from people? And while we think that might be a little humorous, we do that sometimes. We know we have a big need and we ask God for something smaller. We think that it somehow makes us more righteous to suffer when God is wanting to give us a breakthrough. When Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? Then we need to be honest and we need to ask for what we want. If it's according to his will, if it's something that he's given us a desire for, we don't have to worry about a no answer. You can be bold and leave the results up to him. And so Bartimaeus asked Jesus to restore his sight. Now this phrasing gives us the idea that he was able to see at one point, but due to illness or injury, he lost his vision. Jesus replied by saying, Go your way, your faith has made you well, and he was immediately healed. For the first time in a long time, his eyes were opened, and the first face he saw was the face of the Messiah. And the first thing Jesus told him was that he could go wherever he wanted. He no longer had to be led by someone. He no longer had to stumble around in the darkness. His eyes were healed and his vision was perfect. He could see all the faces in the crowd staring at him in wonder and amazement. He had not only been given his sight, but he had been given his life back. 
He was not only healed, but his faith that Jesus was the Messiah had saved him. What was Bartimaeus' response? In Luke 18, it says that Bartimaeus started following Jesus. He had been given new life and new purpose. He was incredibly grateful for the answer to his request. As he glorified God for the miracle, it fired up the crowd, and they began to worship as well. Notice what the crowd did. They went from ignoring him to rebuking him to escorting him to worshiping with him. Your miracle isn't just for you. It's also for the body of Christ. Your breakthrough isn't just your story. It's part of our story. When one member of the body weeps, we all weep. And when one member of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. I came across something that I thought was very profound. It's from John Corson's commentary on Mark chapter 10, and I wanted to share it with you. Bartimaeus heard that Jesus had come to Jericho. Now, the name Jesus is the Greek transliteration of the Jewish name Joshua. So it was actually Joshua who came to Jericho that day. Thousands of years previously, another Joshua had come into the city of Jericho, not for salvation, but for destruction. For it was his job to bring the people of God into the promised land. And here, standing with Bartimaeus, was Joshua, whose job it was to bring the people of God into the land of promise, not physically, but eternally, to bring mankind to heaven. As the feet of the priests and Levites touched the water, the Jordan River parted, and Joshua entered the promised land to begin his ministry. Jesus also entered his ministry in the Jordan River when he was baptized at the age of 30. The water didn't part, but the heavens were open, and the, dove, uh, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, and the Father declared, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Joshua's ministry was preceded by Moses, who prepared the people in the wilderness as he gave them the law. Jesus' ministry was preceded by a prophet of the wilderness named John the Baptist, who preached repentance, and Jesus became the, the fulfillment of the law. When Jesus came to Jericho, he came not as a destroyer of the city, but a healer of one last blind man. Those living in darkness had seen a great light. I'll ask our worship team to come up. On his way into Jerusalem, under a strict timetable of events that had to take place on certain days at certain times, Jesus still stopped. With a huge crowd around him, he took time and he ministered to this blind beggar. No need was ever too great or too small for Jesus. No person was too much of an interruption to him. As I've said before, people didn't keep Jesus from his greater work. They were his greater work. Bartimaeus cried out in humility. He cried out tenaciously. And he cried out expectantly. 
And he got his miracle. Healing Bartimaeus was the last public miracle that Jesus performed. Jesus asked you the same question he asked Bartimaeus. If he asked you, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? What is your heart's desire right now? What do you need from God? When all hope is lost, when you've given up on that God-sized dream and you think it will never happen, realize God is on the move, that God has drawn near. Jesus became God in the flesh, God with us, so that he could minister to our needs. We're not a nuisance. We're not an interruption. We're not an imposition to him. Jesus gives hope to hopeless situations. Whatever it is that you need from God, he is listening. Since he defeated death itself, there's nothing that God can't do for you.